Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development programs that have changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to talk to you today about life at its best, man. You know what? I've spent nearly a half century trying to get people to see how incredibly good God is. And it's amazing that just as, man, people, if they start making that journey, they start opening their eyes, at some point they hit the brakes and say, well, what about Job? Well, you know something? Uh, you're going to get your eyes open this week or actually this whole month as we talk about what the book of Job actually says and what the Word of God actually says took place. Now, let me say this. If this is your first time to watch this broadcast, you might want to go back and listen to the three previous messages where we are talking about things that I I don't have time to go back and, (coughs) excuse me, I don't have time to go back and review because we got so much material here that, that we're trying to cover. But one of the big things is, is people come up with, well, well look, God was testing Job. <coughs> you know, actually, God was not testing Job. In the, in the book of James, when it talks about, you know, the patience of Job and the power of patience, in that very book, when it's talking about patience, it says, let no man say, when he's tested, that he's being tested of God. Well, that word tested means tested, tried, scrutinized, or made to strain. Now, God doesn't do that. That is not what God does. The way God tests a person is one way. He makes promises through the Word of God, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And the only test is this. Will I believe God's account or Will I believe somebody else's account? Will I believe my preacher? Will I believe my mama? Will I believe my family? Will I believe my denomination? Uh, Will I believe the science teacher? Will I believe the biology teacher? Who am I going to believe, God or somebody else? And unfortunately, in most people's lives, because we don't read the Bible for ourselves sometimes, we don't uh, uh, write this stuff on our heart. We don't search out the treasures that are in here. so it's just like it's easier, just let everybody else tell me what I'm supposed to believe. But patience, you know, patience is the, when it gets down to the functional side of patience, and James, the first chapter, is all about patience. Patience is all about the ability to stand under pressure and not waver. That's, that's kind of a functional understanding of patience. And so <clears throat> Job was patient. Now, Job had some problems. And that, and if you were with me through these previous three sessions, you know Job had some problems, and Job really created the problem. It wasn't God testing Job. It was Job uh, failing to act on what he actually did know about God, and that's what happens to most of us. Most of us react to the circumstance that is right in front of us as if that is reality and if that is the only reality. You know, in the Hebrew, the word for truth um, indicates that you have to know what came before this. What is back here at the beginning? 
What are you looking at right now and what will the outcome be? And unless all three of those harmonize with the word of God, then you're not dealing with truth. You're, you're, you're dealing with circumstance. And so our tendency is when we face a challenging, difficult circumstance, we change our theology. We change what we believe about God to try to explain this circumstance, not realizing that um, these circumstances, I'm not saying they're not real, but I am saying that these circumstances can change very quickly when in our heart we hold to what came before. What came before was the Word of God. In other words, it's got to be, this circumstance has to be evaluated in light of the Word of God and in light of the outcome that I want to have. Otherwise, I am changing what I, what I, what I say that God revealed about Himself. I'm changing it to explain what's happening right in front of me. Uh, you know, interesting in that very same chapter and in, in, in James chapter one, where it's talking about patience and it's talking about testing. And uh, it actually in that very same scripture uh, passage, I think it's down in, in about verse 17. You know, it, it says it says that, uh, uh, you know, not only does it say, let no man say that when he's tempted, he's tempted of God because God tempts no man. That's 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 he tempts, tests, tries, scrutinizes, or makes no man to strain or to strive. But it, it also goes on to talk about that, how, how that God is so consistently good that He never shifts or never changes enough to cast a shadow in perfect light. He never, He never shifts away from the fact that He is good and that He is only good, which means when I'm look, when I'm being overcome by circumstances that it looks like it's God and people are telling me that it's God, I've got to decide whether or not I believe God's report, God's testimony of Himself or whether or not I'm going to believe everybody's accusations against God, because that's really what it is. It's an accusation against God. Now, last week we started reading in the first chapter of Job, and we realized that Job basically had an inherent issue, and it was fear. He was afraid for his children. And, uh, and every time his children would have a feast and drink and party and celebrate, man, he was so afraid of what they would do that he would go off or sacrifice for them because, because he was afraid they might have got drunk and, and blasphemed God in their heart and he was afraid of what might happen. And so in Job 1.6, it says this. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. You know, first of all, let me say this. The, the, the phrase, sons of God, is a phrase that is very often used of angels. And, you know, Satan, Lucifer, is a fallen angel. And so uh, he comes and in, in, in among them. And it's kind of interesting that it says that the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also, indicating that, that this was not normalcy, that Satan would come before the presence of God with the other angelic hosts. And then the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So <clears throat> the word Satan basically is an accuser. And his fallen nature is seen in his name, just like the nature of God is revealed in the names of God. Now, Satan's one goal has always been to convince man that, first of all, God couldn't be trusted and that God hadn't really given you a great life or made it possible for you to have a great life. 
and then basically to blame God for the suffering of mankind, thereby undermining the the uh, your, your faith in God. You know, Luciferians, and I'm telling you, most people don't know this. It amazes me how naive and how ignorant people are of what is happening all across our country and all across the world. There are there are secret organizations, private organizations, and they talk about God, but they're not always talking about the same God that we're talking about. As a matter of fact, um, in many of these secret organizations, there is the creator God, and then there's Lucifer, the light bearer. And the creator God, the one that created the world, according to many of these uh, many of these organizations, they basically say the proof that God is bad, the creator is bad, the proof that he can't be trusted is look at all the trouble in planet Earth. Look at the murder. Look at the war. Look at the starvation. And, and if he's the creator God, he, if he, you know, why does he do something about this? But you know, like, golly, I've had hundreds of people ask me that was like, well, look, if God's love, why is he letting this happen? That is Luciferian doctrine. And, and that goes against the very foundational pillars of faith because the, the two foundational pillars of faith is number one, how that God created the world exactly as it is described in the book of Genesis, and that is our model for how to operate faith. The second pillar of faith is that man was created in the likeness and the image of God and all that that implies. Now, since man was created in the likeness and image of God and given authority over planet Earth, and Jesus even gave a parable about that where it says, you know, that a man, uh, a, a, a man uh, rented out or leased out a vineyard. Well, see, that's what God did with planet Earth in a certain sense. God owns planet Earth, but he let it out or leased it out and gave the human race authority over planet Earth. He taught the human race how we could have this incredible world, how we could have peace, how we could have health, how we'd have longevity, how we could have great relationships, how we could have civil order, how we could solve problems quickly and easily, how we could keep it where the rich could never oppress the poor. But man didn't do that. Man did it the way that made sense to him. And the result has been war, chaos, famine, disease, and all that. And I can tell you this, and you can read my book, Apocalypse, if you want to have more insight into the history of the world and how we got to where we are. But one of the things I can tell you is all of the famine, all of the war, all of the lack that is happening in the world today is man-made, even right down to most of the earthquakes and, and these catastrophic things that seem to be just acts of nature. The real truth is man has his hand involved in those kinds of things. So man has made the world become what it is, but he blames God because of the, the, the false religious idea that God's in control of everything. If God is in control of everything, he is a psychopath. He is a sociopath. He is a murderer. He is two-faced. He is a liar. God is not in control of everything. We are in control of everything because he has given us authority in planet Earth. And we have made planet Earth into what we wanted it to be based on our greed and based on all of those kinds of things. But the but Lucifer has always undermined man's trust. And one of the primary ways is like, look, at God's in control. So he's the one 
that's causing all of this. So, so Job, like many people, was sucked into this concept that if, jo if God's in control of everything, then evidently if this is happening to me, it's happening to me because for some reason God's punishing me or God's trying to teach me or God's trying to make something happen in my life. Well, I got news for you. God uses his word and his spirit to teach us. Satan's tactic has always been, like I say, to con you know, this is what he did with Adam. Uh, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll be like God. They already were like God. So it undermined their confidence that God was really good and that God had really given them uh, everything that pertains to life and godliness. And then the second thing it did was it made them undermine whether or not they could trust God. Because if, if, if God said they were created in his likeness and image, and, and you don't believe that, then how can you trust him? So, uh, so this is Satan's tactic. This is always Satan ta Satan's ta tactic. Now, I want you to understand them. And this is going to be a hard pill to swallow, but, but it'll help you and, it, and it'll get you into a mindset where you can trust God and come out of situations. When you look at the circumstances in front of you and those circumstances are not in line with life and godliness, when they're not in line with the promises of God that, that were purchased for us through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And you look at these destructive things and you say, God is doing this, God is allowing this, or God is somehow not doing his part. You are enacting Luciferian doctrine and you are putting yourself in direct opposition to God. Now, prior to the resurrection, Satan, as far as we know, had access to heaven. But since the resurrection of Jesus, he has not had access to heaven as nearly as I can understand it. You know, Revelation 12, it, it, it gives this whole kind of world history of the nation of Israel being born and then ultimately of the, of the war that takes place in heaven, the crucifixion. Revelation 12, 10 says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. So, when did the kingdom of God come? When did salvation come? Resurrection of Jesus. So as near as I can tell, this is talking about what happened at the resurrection of Jesus. Now we know, according to the book of Ephesians, that when, when Jesus went into heaven, he stripped Satan of all principality, all power, all rank, all right. He had, he had no authority, he had no right to do anything in planet earth. You know, a lot of people say, well, why did, why was Satan cast down to planet earth? Well, it doesn't matter that Satan was cast down to planet earth. What matters is he has no authority here. Uh, you know, the Bible calls him the prince of the authority of the air. And that word air is used in the sense of nothingness. Because, you know, it, it, when Paul would use that phrase, he'd say, look, if a person speaks in tongues and they don't interpret it, they're just speaking out into the air. In other words, it's nothingness. It's meaningless. He talks about how that when you run a race, you don't do it in a meaningless way. You do it in a way so that you can win. And and then he says that when he goes into battle, he's not doing it in a meaningless way, like well, somebody who fights the air. So the prince of the power of the air basically is saying he is the ruler of nothingness. He has no authority over anything. And the only way he works in our life is not even because we give him our authority, but because we believe the lies that have been introduced 
into the world throughout history. And based on those lies, we use our authority to fulfill the purposes of either God or the devil in planet earth. And neither God nor the devil at this point in time can do anything in planet earth apart from man. You know, that's part of why Jesus had to become a man because he couldn't come back at the second coming and defeat the Antichrist if he had not come as a man and if he was not still a resurrected man. Now, people have trouble with that. I mean, he's the son of God. I can't explain the Trinity to you. I can just tell you that it is. But I'm telling you something. Jesus will come back as a man. He will still have the piercings uh, where they drove the nails in his hands. <clears throat> and he will come back. But when salvation came at the resurrection of Jesus, that is when Satan was cast out and the power of Christ had come to the earth. It says, why? Because the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. That's not just down to the earth, cast down. He has no authority. He has been beaten completely. And listen, if you want to understand more about that, get my book and my series called Satan Unmasked because I'm telling you, uh, Satan has been stripped. He's been beaten. I don't know why people are afraid of him. I don't know why people are running around screaming at him all the time. Because what we need to be doing is just moving with God, harmonizing with God, instead of trying to fight the devil all the time. But anyhow, it says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Now, in Hebrews 9.22, we have an account of what Jesus did in heaven when he was raised from the dead. It says, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of the things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. And he's talking about than these, the blood of bulls and goats. So he's saying, look, there is a heavenly tabernacle and the tabernacle that the children of Israel went into was a copy of this heavenly tabernacle. Now, those, the tabernacle that was the copy here on earth, they used the blood of bulls and goats, which all symbolized different things. But the heavenly tabernacle had to be purged by the blood of Jesus. Now, why did it have to be purged by the blood of Jesus? Because of Lucifer's rebellion. And I can assure you this, Jesus didn't purge the tabernacle and then allow Satan back in. And verse 24 says, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, the one here on earth, which are only the figures of the true, but into, the, into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So Jesus purged the Heavenly, holy of holies. You know what that means? You know, you've got this concept and you hear people talk about how the, as the accuser of the brethren, he stands before God to this day and accuses us night and day. No, he doesn't. God hasn't heard one thing about you because Jesus is our intercessor, our advocate. Only thing that God hears about us is what Jesus says about us. I have made them holy. I have made them whole. They are my brethren. They are the children of God. They are washed in my blood. They are, that's the only thing God knows about you is what is what Jesus says about you. So, but this was all before the cross. 
And you know, if you're not going to calculate the cross into your theology, then just make up anything you want because if the cross is, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is not the focal point of your theology. If it's not, if it's not the pivotal point, then, then you're just making stuff up. But now, prior to this, Satan evidently had access to heaven, but God challenged Satan. It's so interesting. So it says, and I'm just continuing to read in the book of Job. It says, so Satan answered the Lord because, you know, God asked him where, where he'd been. And it says, so Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth, walking back and forth from upon it. So Satan offers an evasive answer, but God challenges him. And the way this is translated into the English just feeds the religious fury. And, and, and the way this is interpreted comes straight out of mythology. See, in mythology, people believe that the gods were sovereignly in control of everything and that basically the gods used mankind as pawns in their battle one against the other. This whole idea that God and Satan are in a war and that we are just pawns, all of that comes out of mythology. I want you to know the war is already won between God and the devil. And really, the war is already won between man and the devil, but man doesn't believe it. And the only thing the devil can do here on earth is based on, number one, our unbelief of what Jesus accomplished, and number two, our greed and our wicked desires whereby we give ourselves to the ways of the wicked one. That's it. There's no other way for the devil to do anything here in planet earth. So <clears throat> then uh, in verse eight, it says this. This is what it says in the King James. This is really not what it means in the original language. Then the Lord said, have you considered my servant Job? So it sounds like you're saying, oh, so you've been down there looking for somebody to torment. Have you considered my servant Job? I'll tell you what, let's just make a bet on this. We'll, we'll just, you know, we'll just use him as a pawn and I'll show you. No, that's not what it says. That phrase, have you considered my servant Job, really should read, have you set your heart on my servant Job? And God says, there's none like him in all the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And so God is saying, have you set your heart on Job? Now, Job had problems, but it's interesting. God did with Job just what he did centuries later with Abraham. God declares Job is righteous, just like God called Abraham righteous. And because Abraham believed it, then he was able to walk in the righteousness of God. So this is not God using Job as a challenge to Satan. This is God challenging Satan about setting his heart on Job. Verse 9 says, So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? In other words, have you not made a hedge about him? That's what God does. God has set a hedge about us, and our hedge is in, is in Jesus. And when we believe what we have in Jesus, when we believe the victory that we have in Jesus, that hedge is firmly fixed, it's firmly in place. But when we do not believe that, and when our faith is not based on that, and when we begin to waver because of the circumstances and stop trusting that, then we create the destruction in our own heart. 
It says, have you not made a hedge around him and his household and around all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now, and this is, this is where the accuser comes in. Stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Well, God's not going to do this. God's not going to touch him. So Satan's accusation is this. Job simply serves God because of all the benefit. You know, I am sorry to say a lot of people today, that's the only reason they want to serve God. It, it is there. But just because some people does do that does not mean that prosperity or success or, or blessings are always corrupt and that the people who enjoy them are always corrupt. You know, James says that God can't be tempted. Now, if God was drawn into a wager because of Satan's accusation, then that would mean that he's been tempted. This is an impossibility. Satan is seeking to move God against Job, but it can't, it can't really happen. You know, the Bible talks about something that's really interesting. And it's one of those subtle, subtle little things that boy, people miss. You know, the Bible talks about the way of Balaam and it talks about the era of Balaam. And they're not the same thing. The way of Balaam was to serve God for money. And he was a real prophet. He really prophesied. You know, it's tragic to say, yes, there are people in the ministry today that the honest truth is if they could probably get a better paying job that was as easy as sitting around in an office all day, they'd probably, they'd probably get out of the ministry because they don't even really enjoy it that much. They don't like to serve people. They're just doing it because that's the way they've learned how to make a living. I'm not saying all ministers that way because there's great sacrificial ministers all across the world. But, you know, it's easy to tell when somebody's in it for the money instead of in it for serving people. So, you know, easy enough. But the era of Balaam was this, is that the doctrinal era of Balaam was to believe that God would curse what he had blessed. God will not curse what he has blessed. And I'm going to tell you, the church is seduced by the era of Balaam. Now, God did not respond to Satan's temptation. This is so important. Now, we're not going to go into this. We don't have enough time because this is all the time we have on our program. But don't forget, if you want to go into more detail in this, if you want to uh, uh, dive deeper and get more nuggets out of this, you can get the audio series that goes with this called uh, The Truth About Job, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. And, you know, and even more important than that, not only why they happen, but I'm going to show you how to stop them from happening. But uh, you know, I'm able just to go into way more detail in the series. But here's the deal. You need to ask yourself, am I seduced by the era of Balaam? Do I think that God will be manipulated by the devil or by me or by my behavior? You know, it's interesting. God says even when we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. That's pretty, that's kind of interesting. God's not going to stop being true to his word. We might stop being able to receive it when our heart condemns us. But to think that God turns against us when we do something wrong, uh, that's, you know, it's the goodness of God that draws us to repentance. If God wants us to get out of sin, he's going to do it through his goodness according to his word. He's not going to do it by punishing us. He's not going to do it by bringing bad things in us. He's not going to. And, and, you know, besides that, if that's what he does, then he is lying. Then the book of James is a lie. That, that God's not good. And he's not only good. And that God does test you. If, if that's what happens, no. God is going to always bring us out by reminding us of his love, by touching our heart, 
with the belief that we can walk in righteousness, that Jesus has conquered sin, that we don't have to live in this, and He's going to lead us out by His, by His goodness. Don't ever entertain the idea that God's cursed you or that what is happening is something God is doing to you. If you do, you get there and you get stuck. Listen, man, if this program has been a blessing to you, get ready for next week because we're going to keep going in this direction. But I want you to understand something. Be sure and comment on this if you're watching on YouTube. If not, go to YouTube, make comments, help people, encourage people. What you're getting out of this, how much this is benefiting to you. Be sure and like my page or like this message so that other people will have the opportunity to hear it. Share this with people who are struggling with these kind of, with these kinds of things. And if you want to hear something every single week, that uh, that will uh, uh, change your life. It'll always point you to the best things that God is doing in your life. Be sure and subscribe to it because I'm going to tell you, that's all you're ever going to hear at Impact Ministries and come from me is how good God is, how that the truth is always true, that God doesn't change, and He's going to keep loving you, and that love and that goodness is going to be what He uses to draw you to repentance. Have a great life. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com, with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website for previous podcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.